Well, I'm grateful today to God for our time to conform our thinking to his, according to his word. It's going to be an easy Sunday, so please join me in a brief word of prayer to set our hearts. God Almighty, our topic today is wrought with cultural foolishness and influenced by the fall of mankind into sin. Help us to sift through the lies and please, we ask. Lay for us a foundation of truth from which we will delight in you and in our walk with Christ this side of glory. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, on Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022, a moment occurred before the United States Senate in which the most recent Supreme Court justice, then a nominee, was asked to provide a definition for the word woman. Now, there was a political firestorm after her response in which she said she was not a biologist and her role is not to define but to address disputes. That outrage from political conservatives was understandably fierce. The memes, the sarcastic tweets, the news commentators all revealed the issue at hand was about far more than political ideology. There is a fundamental confusion in our society and in many Western societies, and it is not simply a political issue that can be defined along party lines. The anger about this issue, the emotions that come with addressing the issue of gender are rooted in both God himself and in the corruption of creation through the fall. There is truth about gender from the creator. We just read. But there is also a suppression of truth. This is why the subject of gender, specifically in the context of defining what it means to be a man or a woman, is so provoking. We are at a war for truth. Confusion abounds. Not only did that Supreme Court justice struggle to answer the question about defining a woman, but the very scientists and biologists that she had in mind affirmed her struggle and even pushed back. Articles and interviews followed, supporting her answer and stating that even a biological answer would be too limiting. Sinful mankind doesn't want science or biology to answer. They would rather rest on cultural and social norms, and most disastrously, sinful man wants preferences to rule the day in defining what it means to be a man or a woman. Not only is there pushback in definitions, there is a push to break down all distinctions between men and women so that any difference between the two is irrelevant. The LGBTQ plus movement has influenced this kind of thinking where same-sex relationships, transgenderism are promoted as good and holy. So on the one hand, you have the women's movement, which has sought to break down all distinctions, and on the other, the LGBTQ plus movement has sought to make room for every distinction imaginable. We wonder where the confusion is. Further, the lack of godly marriages, the rate of divorce have left a significant mark in our culture. Many people have not experienced either an admirable, godly father or mother or have not seen up close how godly men and women are supposed to interact. Instead of focusing on the biblical models of what it means to be male and female, we look to media, to culture, to tell us how to be a man or a woman. Then in that same media, we look to, and this includes not just social media, this is television, this is news outlets, movies, books, education at every level. 
We look to anti-biblical views of manhood and womanhood. From the time that we can read, more importantly today, from the time that you can watch, we are informed of every unbiblical thought under the sun about men and women. Finally, the lack of godly teaching about what men and women are to be from the actual text of Scripture adds to the confusion. There is an angst and fear surrounding this issue, and it has silenced so many churches that have sound doctrine. It has created a safe place in Christ's own church for aberrant theology to run unhindered and unaddressed. In this age of confusion, we need clarity. It's not just the left-leaning Democrats that need clarity on manhood and womanhood. Our kids need clarity. Our students need clarity. Our singles need clarity. Our married couples need clarity. Our parents need clarity. Everyone needs biblical clarity. The enemy wants to tear down God's order, and so does the world. And if we're honest, so do we. The battle from the enemy and from the world is often more obvious, attacking gender norms and words. And as we've seen recently, there's laws and peer pressure that are used to indoctrinate. But the battle from within is far more insidious. I'm far less concerned with the world's attacks on gender. Should I expect the world to honor God? No. What I am concerned with is how a professing Christian understands gender. How a professing believer approaches God's word to live faithfully. How a believer responds to God's word concerning gender. This is why we're going to spend the next two weeks learning from scripture about biblical manhood and womanhood. That's a brief series. It's not going to cover every aspect of biblical manhood and womanhood. But it's my goal to present to you God's good design for gender distinctions and the basic godly characteristics for men and women so that we can better worship God in the gender that he has provided. Now, biblical instruction is needed for gender distinction in the roles. Today, we're going to address some foundational truths. First, God is not silent about gender. We will see that in his word today. Yet what God has to say about gender is often very far off from what the world says. Second, gender distinctions were put in place pre-fall. The goodness of God is seen in that distinction between men and women. And third, gender identity does not supersede spiritual identity in Christ. But living honorably and rightly with the gender that God provides is indeed an outworking of you worshiping God in all things. So to address the foundation of God's good design, we need to start in the beginning. This is going to be a rough topic. Many professors, knowledgeable individuals that you may have even sat under, I did, suggest that gender is a construct and something that we define as humans. And I will tell you today, it is not. It is not a construct, nor is it something that we define. Today, I will not follow the secular model of addressing this issue. We are not going to follow the world in explaining sex and gender as distinct from one another. I will primarily use the word gender today when describing the difference between men and women. Biblically, you will see in just a moment, there is no need to distinguish between the two gender and sex, a man ought to be a man, and a woman ought to be a woman. 
Now, there are effects in the fall for a very small percentage of human babies that are born with physical deformities. These are always the exceptions to the rule of which everyone makes an objection. What is often not relayed about such cases is that, is that they are not only exceedingly rare, but rarer still is the instance in which a human being is born with full sets of both genitalia. Even in such a case, God has a way for people to honor him. They are not left without hope because of the gospel, but such nuanced cases are best discussed in private where questions can be addressed. So we will not spend our time today discussing these rare cases. We are going to focus on the general truths that God has provided in his word regarding biblical manhood and womanhood. First, gender was instituted by God in the garden before the fall of mankind into sin. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to handle the slides because I forgot the clicker up here in the intensity of the moment. And you can tell I'm passionate about this because there is such confusion in our world and it affects the way that every single one of us lives. Every marriage is affected. Every person who interacts with others is affected by the confusion from the world and the world does not have truth but God does. My passion for you today is to bring the truth of God's word to bear that you would not listen to lies. On this first slide here, you should see Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Both men and women were created in the image of God. Neither had or has more of God's image than the other. Praise God. And man and woman, male and female, were created with purpose. Notice this. It's so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, all the earth, every creeping thing. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over all these creatures. This command to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill and subdue the earth was given equally to both Adam and Eve in the garden. They were to be God's representatives in the world and in this regard, they are both equals. And even though man was created first, he was not complete on his own. Let's go to the next slide, Lauren. Genesis chapter 2 Verses 18 through 25 recount the creation of woman from man. I want you to note a few things. First, this passage shows that God used animals to show Adam his need for a helper. Notice that God brought each animal to the man for him to name them. And when the man saw time and time again that he was alone, he had no one like him. Then God said, it is good, it is not good for man to be alone. He needed a partner. Regarding this partner, the Hebrew term for suitable means corresponding to. God was making a helper for man that he would face, face to face, that would perfectly correspond to him, that would be parallel to him. Here is the beauty of the ideal of marriage that all Christian married couples should strive towards. Listen. The husband and wife are two pieces of the same puzzle, fitting together to exemplify one flesh. 
and also fulfilling God's designed roles for men and women according to the scriptures. When that ideal is lived out, it is a beautiful redemptive display of the gospel at work in the hearts of God's people. But as beautiful as that picture is, the union of husband and wife being in perfect unity, fulfilling God's design for gender and for marriage, it would be very short-lived. We know that mankind, men and women, were disobedient from their hearts in the garden, and this would have disastrous results in the whole world. We need to consider how the fall of mankind into sin affected God's good design for men and for women. Now, thinking back to the example of the Supreme Court nomination and thinking of the confusion that we see in our media, in our education, we must remember that our, edu- that our understanding of gender is broken without God's help. The fall of mankind into sin distorted the created order of gender in several ways. Take a look at our next slide, Genesis chapter 3. Gender in the fall. You know, the idea of male headship is often considered offensive today. That's again because of sin. Did you know that God instituted male headship before the fall? Note, in Genesis 3, even though man was created before woman, which could be one example of headship, the, certain, the serpent chose to interact with the woman. Have you ever wondered why? Where is the man? Is it not his responsibility to be one flesh with his wife? Why is he not speaking truth back to the serpent? Why is he not speaking truth back to his wife? Now the man knew that he was the head of his wife. So did his wife. And so did the serpent. The created order was twisted and distorted by the man and woman's sinful response to that crafty serpent's temptation. Further evidence, when God confronts the man and his wife for their devastating sin, who does God call out? Now, if the woman is the one whom the serpent tempted and gave the forbidden fruit to her husband, why is God questioning the man? Why does God call to the man and not the woman? Friends, he is responsible. The man is responsible. From the beginning, God designed man to be the head and woman to be his helper. Before the fall, this relationship was perfect. Perfect. Man and wife were one. They were unified. He was to lead. She was to follow his lead. And with a perfect balance so that their roles were always mutually beneficial for one another in unity. The woman's submission to her husband, the man's leadership with his wife, were implemented willingly and beautifully before the fall. There were no power dynamics or struggle in that Edenic pre-fall condition of mankind. But the fall changed everything. Specifically, the fall evidenced several breaks of God's good created order. When the serpent was bypassing the headship of man, speaking to the woman, when the woman responded with truth, but then believed the serpent's lie when she gave her husband the fruit and he ate, he followed her, everything was reversed. Man failed in his leadership in the garden. Woman usurped his authority and man became a follower and he followed the woman into sin. From that moment, marriage and God's design for men and women was corrupted. Let's look at Genesis 3.16. 
3.16 through 19 on the next slide here, Lauren. This contains the curses for mankind subsequent to the fall. And here we see the realities of broken gender as a direct result of sinful disorder. For the woman, there is much controversy over this passage, specifically Genesis 3.16 and what it means. There are a growing number of professing Christians today who want the text to say something other than what a plain reading reveals. Now, the pain of childbearing is less controversial. It's a fact that is often readily received by many Christian women. Several of our women here today, I think, can attest to the fact. But even though the promised pain is real, God has yet been merciful in that he did not eliminate childbearing. He did not eliminate mankind from the earth. But the curse for women was about more than just mothers. The last part of verse 16 reveals a truth that many want to avoid. God says this, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Let me state simply what's being said here and then unpack it. The good design of God's created order where man and women gloriously displayed their roles in unity is now broken. There are several interpretations for what desire could denote here, but look at the context. A general desire for a husband is not likely being referenced here. The breakdown of the fall was woman usurping man's authority and headship. That was the issue. Now the woman would be cursed with that basic desire to lead the man. Yet the man will rule over her according to God's curse and not in a gentle way. This is now a broken reflection of the goodness of God's order. See, before the man was to be the head of his wife, but in perfect unity. Now there will be strife as the woman contends with the man for authority and his authority would now be tainted with unrighteousness. You don't have to look far to see this truth lived out. How many of you have heard that statement, happy wife, happy life? Huh. Have you considered the insidiousness of that often quoted statement? Now there could be a simple and potentially innocent approach to the sentiment of seeking unity to promote peace. But that's not what that statement's about, is it? See, we know that statement is about not rocking the boat. That statement is about doing what the woman wants. That statement is about unquestioningly following the woman for an easier life. That is what is meant. Now we see in God's curse to the woman that gender has been broken and the curse will now reflect that brokenness. But the curse didn't just impact women. In fact, if you look at the text, the bulk of God's response was to the man because he's the head. Note the first thing that God says. He says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. God is calling out the man for not living out his headship, for following his wife. The Hebrew word here for listen is not just hearing. It's obeying. The man didn't just hear his wife say something. He obeyed her and disobeyed God. He followed her example, and so much pain comes from the man's disobedience. Look at it. Cursed ground. Hardship of life. Pain all of your days. 
thorns and thistles which are not edible, sweat and hard work, and most importantly, what we don't often read in our English translation, from dust to dust, death, death. Women, you should be grateful God did not give you the same promises in the curse. Oftentimes we like to compare, don't we? God gave you more than he gave me. And we do it both ways, don't we? Because of our heart of idolatry. As you look at this though, the brokenness that exists, the curses that God brings upon women and men, this is for all of us. It affects all of us. Not just one. Even men, as you think about the struggle for women now, you are not a perfect leader, husbands. How hard is it for your wife to submit? Everything is broken. Everything. Man is indicted because he did not listen to God, but he listened to his wife. Unless you think that that means no man should ever listen to a woman, let us be clear. If anyone encourages you to sin... Man or woman or serpent, do not follow. You follow God, no matter what people say or encourage. And if somebody encourages you to follow God, you say amen, and you should. Man is called out in Genesis 3.17 because he too rejected God's good created order, and he rejected God's words. From the garden, gender was broken, and the once beautiful distinctions between men and women were now distorted. Let's go to the next slide here, Lauren. Romans 1, 20 through 32 is a key passage. It is selected up there on the text. You can look at it in your Bibles. This helps us to understand the far-reaching brokenness caused by the fall when it comes to God's design for gender. First, this passage reminds us that God has revealed himself since creation. God has been consistent since the beginning, since the garden. He has not changed. His standard for what it means to be a man and a woman has not changed since creation. Second, we're reminded the issue since creation is that mankind does not worship God. Mankind does not glorify God. Mankind does not give God thanks, even though all things are from him That includes gender. Third, we're reminded that the brokenness we experience in corrupted relationships, in desires, is a direct result of the fall. Look at the text. God gave them over to all manner of sin. That is a chastisement to man's disobedience. That is punishment upon punishment for disobeying and not following God. Fourth, and this is very applicable for us, we see that one of the most imminent effects of the fall is a corrupted understanding of what it means to be a man and a woman. There is an abandonment of natural desires, an abandonment of God's created order. Women having desires for women, men having desires for men, and all kinds of sin follows. Fifth, We see that the mocking of marriage, the mocking of male headship, the dismissiveness of any understanding of godly womanhood, including the characteristics of submission, the licentiousness of mankind, all of these are expected 
of unrepentant people. They not only approve of them, but they encourage people to them more and more. That is what sin does. The unbelieving world will not champion despicable uh, and wicked things on the part of believers, but they will encourage everyone else to do their wicked deeds. And they expect you to. So this is why when the Supreme Court nominee at the time was asked a question, could have no other answer because of the lies of the world and the lies within. When you read of the hearty approval that's given from unrighteousness toward more unrighteousness, it's no wonder that we see the culture delighting in the LGBTQ plus movement, in abortion rights, in the degradation of marriage, in the complete abhorrence of any sense of biblical roles for men and women. As a result of the fall, good is called evil, and evil is called good. That beautiful relationship between man and woman in the garden is now mocked by foolish people. You know, there are even those who consider such biblical and God-given roles as abusive. Every form of media makes fun of the traditional family as if having one father and one mother is not good enough. So many professing believers are embarrassed and ashamed to uphold God's good design for men and for women. Rarely do you hear of believers boldly proclaiming the headship of a husband and the submission of a wife. And if you do, they are likely being made fun of or other professing believers are trying to distance themselves from such statements. It's no wonder that marriage in any sense of biblical understanding of gender is in such a state of chaos here in the Western world. But friends, God did not leave us without hope. The fall did completely distort God's good design for all things, which includes manhood and womanhood, but through Christ, all things will be made new. There's so much that we could discuss. Our task today, though, is to understand gender with a biblical foundation and to build a firm foundation of our identity in Christ. Now, just to preview next week, we're going to dive into the nuances of biblical manhood and womanhood, and we'll put application into context. But today, today that's not our goal. Today, we want to affirm this. Even though mankind broke everything by disobedience in the garden, even though mankind broke gender distinctions and roles, even though mankind broke God's good and pleasing order, God made a way of redemption for us. It is through Christ that God remakes what is broken, that he renews what's been corrupted, and he redeems what's been lost. Now for the Christian, the first and foremost identity that you need to think of and remind yourself of is that you are in Christ. Before you think about being a man or a woman believer, you are in Christ. Let's go to the next slide here, Lauren. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28 affirms the primacy of our identity in Christ. You see, in Christ, the breakdown of power dynamics, the difficulties of submission, the feelings of superiority and inferiority are done away with. We must not take this, though, into heretical 
territory. Note that God did not take away distinctions between men and women in Christ. God did not do away with design differences between people groups. What God did do in Christ was to bring all those who have repented and believe in Christ into one spiritual family. One family where there's no spiritual inequality before him. Now with that spiritual equality, God still commands his people to follow his designed order, which was instituted before the fall. The distinctions between men and women are renewed in Christ, such that the unity experienced before the fall is once again the standard, the ideal for God's people to strive towards. So we need to note these foundational truths. In Christ, men and women have equal standing spiritually before God, and both are in need of a Savior. In Christ, the Christian is to live out their God-ordained gender for his glory. And in Christ, the character of the Christian is rooted in God's identity first and gender second. Remember earlier, we focused on Genesis 1, how God made man and woman in his image Being an image bearer isn't just about appearing like God. Being an image bearer implies acting in a similar way, operating in a similar way. That's why mankind was called to fill, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. And it's also why God created mankind. It's why we are so special. There's no other creature created to be like us because no other creature is created to be like God. Since we are image bearers, we're called to imitate God, to follow him, to honor him, In all we do, therefore, Christ is the supreme example of imitating God, for he is very God. Lauren, let's go to the next slide in Ephesians 5. Many of you know this text. We are called to be imitators of God. As beloved children, we are called to walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, do you think that women are eliminated there simply because it says sons of God? No. Men and women are included in the sonship that is provided by faith in Christ. We are adopted into God's family. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Some of you may have memorized that growing up. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul says that. Christ is the perfect example. We're called to imitate him. Christ is the example of who? Of God. Matthew 5.48, one of the hardest verses, one of the hardest statements that Jesus says. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, Christians are to follow Christ in imitating God. Have you made the connection? It's not just follow Christ. Christ is the example of the Almighty. He is the perfect example of obedience which was not followed in the garden. For both men and women, Christ is the example. Christians are to follow Christ, to imitate God, and we're to do this empowered by the Spirit and instructed by the Word. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 reminds us that in him, that is Christ, you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, that is Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
was given as a pledge of our inheritance and to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Friends, we are in Christ by the power of God's very spirit. Without his help, we could never obey him. Without his help, we could never consider what it means to follow Christ. And so the Christian's first identity is bound up in Christ, and we cannot forget this. But we also need to learn how to respond in faith, how to respond in thankfulness to God's sovereignty, and listen to this, over the gender that he has provided to each and every one of us. Whether you affirm that God is sovereign does not change the fact that he is. God is sovereign over all. That means the gender that you have was given to you by a sovereign creator. Not one of us chose to be born. The gender we have is given according to God's goodness in his design for mankind. God orders all things. There are no mistakes with him. The gender we've been given is therefore provided to us that we glorify God as he has made us. And since God doesn't make mistakes, we ought to affirm the gender he has provided is ultimately for our good and for the good of others as well. Even in the distinction between men and women, since the ultimate spiritual identity of a person is in Christ, God uses the gender that he provides to us as a means to conform us to the image of Christ. Further, friends, that gender provided to us is a means for God to accomplish his good work of reconciling others to himself. Now, we too, like Christ, are supposed to be a fragrant aroma to God in 2 Corinthians 2. Our gender positions us for specific good works in God's kingdom. Most specifically, as ambassadors of Christ, God uses even our gender for his purpose of reconciling others to himself. Consider, men, there are certain people that you are specifically suited to minister to. Women, there are specific situations and people in which you are perfectly suited by God to minister to others. In addition, God is pleased with the gender that he gives to his children. When we are unhappy with the gift that we've been given, we lament and we wish we had something else. Instead of that, friends, Everyone needs to recognize that gender is a gift. It's provided by God according to his wisdom and to his pleasure. God delighted to give Adam a helper to help him not be alone, so much so that God presented his wife to him personally. You know that God gives the best gifts, and you being a man or a woman is evidence of God's specific grace to you in his goodness. My last encouragement for you today is that you'd be thankful for God's design in gender, in manhood and in womanhood, in the distinctions between the two and in marriage. Again, God does nothing by accident. Lauren, let's go to the next slide here. It seems like it was many years ago, and if Jeff was here, I would tease him about how long we've been in the Gospel of John. But in the first chapter we're reminded that nothing came into being apart from God and Christ. Read the text. Read it. Nothing came into being apart from him. 
If you've ever wondered why God made you a man or a woman or thought about the grass being greener on the other side, remember that not one thing came into being apart from him. You have been designed with purpose and God's glory is seen in you bearing his image in your gender. In this, don't forget that the creation design, the order of man and woman was not just good, it was very good. As we consider the foundational truths for our understanding of gender, biblical manhood and womanhood, we must start in the beginning before the corruption of all things. Friends, we cannot be misled by the lies from without and the lies from within about whether God's design before the fall was fair or good. Too much foolishness is bounds in that kind of thinking. According to God's own testimony, before the fall, it was good. It was perfect. It was perfect. So our response to God should be thankfulness for the goodness of his design, for his wisdom in making all things, even gender, point to his glory. So as we learn to embrace the proper responses that God expects of his people, in particular, being a man, And being a woman, we're going to learn more about the peace and the goodness of unity shared between man and woman when done unto God. Now, learning to be biblical men and women is not only going to help us experience more beautiful unity. There is is that goal. There is that goal. But it's also going to show us and remind us that we need to long even more for creation to finally and fully be made new. It's not going to be perfect this side of glory. And that longing, that groaning, is purposeful. Now while the world toils with understanding gender and roles, we need to trust in God's good design and to live out what he has called us to in his word. We don't need to be confused about what it means to be a man or a woman. We have clarity from God's word. My encouragement to you all today is that you would not feel the need to resort to a biologist or to a pundit or to anyone other than God's word to explain what a man and a woman actually is. But we have to recognize there's a fight for the truth. That ancient enemy who lied to the woman in the garden lies to us today about what it means to be men and women. So friends, as we fight to believe what is true, We have to hold fast first and foremost to Christ. More than anyone, men and women must strive to be like him. Be like Christ. Second, we need to grow in our gratitude for the gender that God gave. Without pride in self, without asking for the role that the other gender has, we need to regularly praise God's name for making us as he did, for designing things as he did, And finally, we need to be diligent students of God's word. We need to know what it it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And we need to ask God for help in living honorably according to the gender that he has provided. Now next week, we're going to dive into those core principles of biblical manhood and womanhood specifically. So if I don't see you here, I'll know why. Just kidding. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to seek to identify very specific applications for our lives. Friends, the world is broken. Gender is broken. Marriages are broken. But my prayer is that today you've been challenged 
or encouraged about God's good design in creating us male and female, in creating distinctions from the garden. And I pray that you would recognize at least this week that it's us who caused the break, not God. His word is good. His plan is good. His way is good. So may we at least have a renewed appreciation for the sovereignty of God in all creation. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your design. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the perfect obedience of Christ. He is our perfect example of both loving leader and submissive servant so that all men and women can strive to be like him. Father, help us to believe rightly from your word regarding gender. Help us to know with clarity how we ought to respond as either a man or a woman in the situations of life that you have brought to us. And Father, please, help us to remember that the world will never understand gender rightly apart from your word and apart from your grace in Christ. So please help us to be ministers of truth and love to one another, to those that you sovereignly place in our paths, and conform our hearts to Christ, that we would praise you and you alone that you are the almighty creator of heaven and earth and we exist for your glory. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.